Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to uh, Vineyard Community Church. We're glad you're with us as we continue on in the study that we're doing um, through the New Testament, and uh, we're, we're tackling it pretty much a chapter at a time. I know we've been on this journey for 186 studies now. That's what my note says. So that's a good long study, and uh, we have lots more to go, but that's okay. We're we're working through it. It's very helpful to. Uh, to study the Bible in context like this. So, and uh, if you'd like to catch up, all 185 videos are online. Go ahead and watch them, and then by next week you can be caught up. <sighs> I don't think you could do that humanly possible. How long would it take to watch? A, that'd be 185, 90 hours. Huh? Yeah, about 90, 90, 90 hours. You could do it in a week if you really wanted to. 90 hours of me in a week would be more than anybody could deal with. Anyway, uh, we are working through it together. We, we've worked through the Gospels in the book of Acts. It's out of the book of Acts. We talked about Paul's missionary journeys. Now we're, we're looking at the letters that Paul wrote that sprung from those journeys. Um, we're almost done, actually, with Paul's letters. Uh, after Philippians, we'll, uh, I think we'll do uh, uh, a Titus and then the Timothys. Um, and, and that will wrap up Paul. Uh, we'll do Hebrews, which may or may not be Paul. Um, that's, that's under debate. A lot of people think it's Paul, but uh, some people think it might have been Apollos. We're not really sure of the authorship. It's one of the few books where there's really unsettledness about the author, but it made the canon. It's divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit was behind it, so actually ever penned it. It's, it's not that big a deal. And then, um, then we'll move into um, uh, the letter by James and the the letters by Peter and the letters by John, and then we'll be in Revelation. So uh, that'll be fun. And, uh, and Revelation will take quite a while. So, but I still think, even saying that, I think it's still a year till we get to Revelation, so um, it's a while yet. Um, and then uh, that'll, take a, that'll take half a year, and then we'll be in the Old Testament. So we're, we're making progress uh, all along the way. All right. Um, Philippians. Uh, is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Um, it's really one of the few letters, um, if not the only letter, where Paul was really not writing for any sort of corrective reasons. Um, it, it doesn't look like he's addressing any major issue with the church in Philippi. He's just writing to his friends. Um, he's uh, under house arrest at this time in Rome, awaiting trial. And uh, that's where he does. He writes a lot of these letters in this two-year period. Uh, so he writes back to the church in Philippi just to see, you know, say hello. He's uh, hello, say hello. Uh, he's sending. Uh, he's going to send some people back to them uh, soon so they can check personally and see how they're doing. But um, he's checking in. And um, the overall theme of the letter to the church in uh, Philippi is uh, joy. And um, I like that Paul's writing about joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And he's, uh, he's talking to the church in Philippi as well and saying, because they're going through some things, and he's saying, but you know, um, this life in Christ is still, it's a life of joy. And Philippians chapter 3 in particular, uh, he, he really, in a very personal way, Paul sort of talks about um, his, his deep desire, not only for um, his eternal life, forever, but the, uh, to fully experience the life of Christ now, the abundant life that Jesus talks about uh, on an ongoing daily basis 
um, with God. And so that's kind of what we're into uh, with Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it's 21 verses. I'm going to read them to you out of the NIV. That's what's on the pages that we passed out. If you can read along in your Bibles if you'd like, or in the Bibles on the rows, um, or whatever your translation is will work. But um, Philippians 3, uh, chapter 1 and following says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7 is Paul's profit and loss statement. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to, which, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, some neat stuff in there, and uh, again, as we pick up in, uh, in verse 1 of Philippians, um, and as we started the introduction, joy is a recurring theme um, for the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Philippians. And um, he's, he's letting us know that as the people of God, um, we are to be joyful. I don't mean we're supposed to run around pretending that we're, we're happy all the time, but the understanding that God loves us and that Jesus is coming back for us uh, and that uh, he's with us now and forever um, should help us as his followers to experience a measure of joy regardless of the circumstances in our lives. So um, uh, Paul's backdrop for this is being under house arrest. It's certainly not the circumstances that he would have liked to have had. He, he was a, you know, he was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He was a traveling speaker. He, 
he was used by God in so many ways to start churches all over the known world and he's, um, he's been shut down uh, and imprisoned for a two year period. And yet he says that, um, uh, that in Christ we can experience joy even in the midst of circumstances and he's, he's finding life with God on an ongoing daily basis, not probably the way he would have had it, but he's still finding God show up and he's experiencing life in the process. There's something about knowing that God is with us and for us now and forever that should always allow us at some moments, you know, a measure of joy. So, you know, hold that in context. And again, not pretend joy, not fake, not whipping it up, not, not saying that we won't have some off moments because we certainly will. But, but there's this, you know, deep down knowing that because we have Jesus in our lives that, that you know, we can, we can rest there and find life there. And yet there's a lot of believers that don't experience much joy whatsoever. And uh, um, the, the, the difficulty of living in a fallen world on a broken planet can cause us to lose our focus. And there's a lot of potential things that, that serve as killjoys in our lives. And so Paul, um, it starts with verse 1, and he's really saying, look, I've got some safeguards for you to protect the joy that you should have in Christ. Uh, verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. So Paul, in chapter 3, is going to give us some safeguards for being joyful um, throughout this chapter. And so um, in, in verses 2 through 6, he gives us a safeguard and, um, to protect this joy or to experience this joy. And, and the first thing he says is, um, be careful of becoming... Um, I, I, really, I, I always think about it this way. I need to watch out for the Pharisee in me. Um, Philippians uh, 3, 2 through 6. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those uh, mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Um, in, in, in those verses, Paul's talking about the, the big problems of Phariseeism. And I, I use that word Phariseeism as, a, as another word for, for legalism. And legalism is a serious killjoy. Um, it's, it's one of the biggest ones uh, in our lives. Um, because the bottom line of Phariseeism is that it, it corrupts the focus of your life. Because instead of focusing on all that God has done for you, your, your focus shifts on what you have to do for God or what you perceive you have to do for God. And you get trapped into trying to live by rules and regulations instead of living the way we talk about here all the time by doing the next right thing. And this has been an ongoing problem uh, in the church since its, since its beginning um, and, and even before because the Pharisees themselves, it would just be easy to write them off as evil. But see, this is the lesson that we can learn from the Pharisees. Um, they started uh, out, the Pharisees did a couple hundred years before Christ arrived on the scene, um, and, and they started with really noble intentions. Um, their intention was to protect the Torah, um, the law, the, the Jewish book, if you would, from being um, corrupted by the Greeks. And, and so um, they, they were trying to, uh, because the, the Greek culture at that time was just sort of consuming everything that it came in contact. And um, and so they, uh, and that process was called being Hellenized. That's what the Greeks call it, Hellenistic 
process. And so um, they, they, they banded together to try and preserve um, their, their way of life, in effect. And yet, um, what happened over time in their, their noble purposes, over a couple hundred years period, um, they started adding more and more rules and regulations in, in this process. And what they lost was the idea of grace. And without grace, there can be no joy. That's why legalism is such a trap. If there's no grace, there's no joy. You won't experience it. You just can't. You, you, it's, it's non-existent. The, the, you can't have one with, with, without the other. And so um, we have to be very careful because it's a tendency in the church to move back into legalism. It happens all the time. And so it has to, we have to stand up and fight against it. And it sneaks in in all sorts of little ways. But it's always this, this turning back towards rules and regulations. And it's about what we have to do for God instead of staying focused on all that God has done for us. And, and you'll know you're moving back towards it um, because first off, you'll get very self-righteous. And you'll start thinking you've got way more stuff figured out than everybody else. And, um, and you, you start comparing yourselves to others. Um, and, then, um, and then part of the process is um, we use this thing that I've introduced to you in the past um, that, that is, is a, I call it a Steveism, which means it's, it's, please don't go looking for this term in the Bible, it's not there. But it's a, it, it, I call it the sin scale. And so if you go and look and everything that you can to look up the sin scale will not show up in the Bible, all right? But the idea is sound. Um, the sin scale is all about, um, but we start to think that, that our sins aren't that bad and other people's sins are much worse. And, and so we, we start putting this stuff on a, on a balance, see? And, it's, and then um, with that going, then we start judging those people. And the... Um, the issue is that at that point then, then this is what happened to the Pharisees and they were ineffective in reaching out to people. They were supposed to be the ones that took the message of a loving God to people and they stopped. They just couldn't do it. Uh, they, nobody, nobody was coming in. That's why Jesus had to come and undo it all. Uh, and uh, just, you know, and Jesus did, he, he undid the entire thing. His teaching was polar opposite of what had been taught. And uh, uh, because he said, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and he just flipped it upside down. That's why they hated him so much. Um, but we have to be careful because it'll come back. It keeps wanting to come back and, and raise its head. And we have to just be aware of it. And that's the best thing. When we start feeling self-righteous, and, and you know, that's when we're, we're at our worst. Um, remember that what Jesus did and what he demonstrated was Jesus always saw and dealt with people and looked at people and loved at people based on the beauty of their potential. And, and <laughs> that's what we have to do. And aren't you glad that he dealt with you based on the beauty of your potential and not with the mess that you were and still are? But, I mean, you, you know, when Jesus met me, uh, how, whatever that terminology is that, that works for you, but, uh, you know, he saw something that nobody else saw, uh, including me. So, you know, thank God that he does that and still does. Um, so it's, it's always full of grace and it's displayed in love. And you'll see people that get stuck here not having any joy. There is no grace and they're, they're just, they don't like people. Anybody that's not like one, one of them, that's, and that's not what Jesus did. It's just not what he did. 
Okay, verses 7 through 9, and I, I kind of teased and called it Paul's prophet and lost statement was in there, but uh, nobody laughed, so we won't do that again. He says, you know, in those verses, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is in faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So, Another big uh, killjoy that we experience uh, that, that just kind of really messes us up is getting our priorities upside down. And, and so just like Paul, we have to consider what's profit and what's loss. Uh, what's really important in life. And for many people, there's, they don't experience joy because their priorities are all messed up. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. Are you more focused on the temporary or on the eternal? Um, have you considered what really lasts in life? Uh, what lasts forever? And, and um, I, I can tell you right off the bat, what lasts forever? Your relationship with God and your relationships with people in relationship with God. That's it. Everything else is temporary. So if those are the things that last forever, what you sure your priorities be? Seriously. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we have to get back to. And it's not like, I mean, we live in the world, I get that. So I'm not telling you that it's like, oh, well, just, but, but it just can't be what consumes us, and yet it usually is. It has a tendency of consuming us, and once we get consumed by the temporary, again, we won't have joy in our lives. It'll just take it away. It'll steal it away. Because you can never get it right, ever. And, and so you, you can't get it on circumstance. And so, you know, this is why priorities are so important. You know, our priority has to be our relationship with God, our relationships with people in relationship to God, and then everything else. And, and if we get those right, then, you know, see the promises of God are so cool. It says, you know, if we, if we get that going, he takes care of all this mess. And he's so much better at it than we are. We're so bad at it anyway. We just keep thinking we're better at it than we really are. Have you guys figured this out yet? Have you figured out you're really not that good at managing your own life? Have you, do you know what you've done with your life? At different times? It's not pretty. Right? <laughs> so, why do we keep going back at it? Like, oh, I, can, I got this one. He's way better at it than we are. And we experience joy in the process. So, make your priorities the things that... that uh, will bring life and joy because uh, that's where we find it. Then in uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, he, he talks about, I want to know Christ. First verse of 10, I want to know Christ. Um, so to maintain joy, your, your number one goal needs to be to know Christ, um, to know him more, to know him better. Uh, and, and so it needs to be, you know, what we do. Um, how do we get to know him better? Just hang out with him. Um, pray. Uh, read. Read the word. We just talked about that. We're going to talk about prayer this weekend. Uh, be thankful. Uh, five things every day. Great way to start. Every day. Five things. Be thankful. Encourage other people. Uh, at least two. Uh, it's only in him that we experience the type of joy-filled life that we are created for. So we should get to know him better. That's what Paul said. I want to know Christ. And so, you know, see, watch him under house arrest. He could have been really upset and mad at everything. Yeah, it's an opportunity to get to know Jesus better. Good stuff. That's what he calls us to. Uh, in verses 12 through 19, um, 12 and 14 in, in particular, he, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on 
to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to take hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ, um, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So another big killjoy, Paul says, is being stuck in your past. And I, I meet with a lot of people and discuss with a lot of people that are really stuck um, in their past. And, and um, that looks like they're stuck in their guilt, they're stuck in shame, they're stuck in anger, in hurt, they're bitter. Um, and and the, the problem they experience and why they don't experience joy is that they, their perspective on life is, is based um, and, and passed through a series of, of filters um, uh, of old dead living. Um, because they, they haven't allowed those things to be They're so stuck back there that everything gets processed back through there and it's, there's no life to be found in it. So, so people that are stuck in the past and yesterday and all the bad things they've done and all the bad things that happened to them don't live. And, and yet you can't change yesterday. Just can't, there's nothing. Uh, the only thing that yesterday can help you with is to hopefully teach you how to do things differently to today. That's what yesterday's good for. That's, that's pretty much it. But so many people get stuck there and they, you know, well, if this hadn't happened and if that hadn't happened and if only I'd done this and if only I'd done that, well, of course, I mean, you know, if, if, if. But you didn't and, and so you can't live that. If only, you know, these things hadn't happened to me. Yeah, I get that. But, but they did. It's just sad. It's a broken world. It's fallen. Horrible things happen. But, but you, can't, you can't get life back there. Learn from it. But, but press on. That's what, what Paul said. So, so if you're stuck in your past, you're, you're not living. Paul said, I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to live in what's behind. I'm going to press on to what God has called me to in Christ. So, so my perspective is not behind. My perspective for life is always in him. Last couple of verses, um, he, he, he talks, well, that whole letter really has been about our, our you know, now and forever, abundant life in Christ. Uh, and then he says, and you know, we have, we have forever as well. We have life now and forever. We're citizens of heaven. And, and one day soon, Jesus is coming back for us. And that's good news. Some, some days, you know, I always talk about having a measure of joy. Some days that's where I get to, to find joy. I'm so glad Jesus is coming back for me on, on certain days. Sometimes that's what I got. And that's good. There's joy in that. Some days, there, I mean, I, you, so I want you to hear what joy feels like to me. It's not like, ooh, everything is always awesome. It's not. But, but on, those, on the hardest of days, okay, one day's coming back. Right now he's busy making a place for me. That's cool. And uh, it's all going to be good. And he's going to get me through this. And so I'll wait. And rather than get frustrated and stomp my feet, try and fix broken things that I'll never fix, God, let me just figure out what I can be thankful for and settle in you and maybe use this hard time to get to know you a little better. So, till he comes back, what do we do? Redeem the time wisely. Watch out for the trap of Phariseeism, legalism. Always be checking for that. It's a big one. Keep a close eye on your priorities. You ought to be working through those pretty much all the time. Is, is, is your, are your priorities right? Don't get stuck in the guilt and shame of your past. And above all, get to know Christ better. And that's what Paul says to us in chapter 3. How to experience a joy-filled life. Amen. If you're watching by television or on video, thank you very much. Uh, we know how valuable your time is. We appreciate, appreciate you 
appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you spending your time with us. If you're ever in Big Pine, come and visit us. We'd love to have you on Wednesday or on the, on the weekends. Uh, if you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com and uh, send us a prayer request and we'll pray for you. But we'll see you next time.